So what we've been talking about, and Josh talked last week about relationships and holding up your end of the rope. And, and what I'd love to do is just talk about when we say that church should never be a business. And we're going to get the, the, the lights on a little bit here, just in case you want to take notes. But we've been talking about, like, the church culture, the church atmosphere, the church environment. And what I mean by church is I don't just mean up a room. I mean the kingdom of God. And when I say church was never meant to be a business, I'm not saying that in a way to diminish the role of kingdom business. I'm saying that in a way of our focus should never be money. Our focus should never be budgets and itineraries and agendas and schedules. So what I mean by that, because I believe you can cultivate the atmosphere of family and kingdom and the atmosphere of heaven in a business. So what I mean by that is the church should never be a business. What I mean is it should never have the focus as the primary goal being budgets and, and, and how much money comes in and how much money goes out and what is our number of attendance and what are our goals and what are we doing and, and all of this. What I mean by, by this is also it should not be focused more on organization than it should be presence. So, so in that is God's calling us to this table and, and I believe today was, was a moment of being called to the table with the Lord doing communion with him. And that's what I want to focus on this, this version of this message is, is that there's something special about the table and there's been something special going on the last several months and that God's been calling people to do church from home and from living rooms and kitchens and, and dining room tables and, and even cars and traveling and all these things. And I believe this, that, that there's th three things that the, that the table kind of represents and calls us to an opportunity as family. As you see this table here, it's a, it's a family table. And as you see this, there's the name family on it, but it's a table with three different chairs, three different colors. And, and the first thing is that we are being invited to the table that you belong. And if you recall the story of David, and, and let's just go back as the tables mentioned throughout the Bible, not only in the sanctuary were lined eight tables in the tabernacle, there was also the table of showbread, meaning his presence, being called to the table specifically with the Lord and in intimacy. And I believe that's what we experience today, a seat at the table of intimacy and communion with the Lord where it's just us and him. How many felt in here, how many felt the ways, the weightiness, the, the burdens of the world disappear in the last hour. When we're caught up in his presence, he becomes the solution to all the chaos and the, and the problems around us. So all of a sudden, what happens is in, in Psalms 23, verse 5, it says that he's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. In the Passion Translation, it references that he set a feast before us, even if our enemies choose to fight around us. So it's this thing to where he's preparing a table. What everybody else does and what they do on their end of the rope is up to them. But the Lord is calling us to a table with him. And he's called us there with a variety, a, a, a very eclectic, unique group of people to do life with. That's why the chairs are all these different colors, because you belong. So we fast forward through David and, and we get to the part of 1 Samuel 16 and we get there and, and they need to select the next king. They go through and they're at the, Jesse's house. And Jesse brings out this son and that son and, and they're not the right ones. The long story short is that David is selected to be king. The lowliest of the brothers going out and, and he's doing the chore that is the worst chore in the house. But he's the one that's selected. And now, if you read further into the chapter, the next heading, the next set of scriptures after he selected to be king, when he wasn't even at the table, 
He wasn't even at the dinner table where, where they went. But they said, there's one more son. There's got to be one more. And then it says this. It says that God, it says he looks at the inward heart. It says he doesn't, God doesn't judge by outward appearance, but looks at the inward. So David was called to the table being the least likely to do the most unthinkable. How many of you have felt like sometimes the least likely? Sometimes I, I, I often feel like the least likely, or why me? Why am, why am I leading this? Or why am I in this room? Why, why, you know? And it's like, I sometimes feel unqualified, but God. I sometimes don't feel good enough, but God. There's in suddenly moments, and, and David's calls to the table. Now, the next heading, though, is it says that Saul, it says the spirit had left him. And he was looking for a worshiper. And all of a sudden they said, David, he said, there's a son at Jesse's house. And the very next thing after being selected to be king, called to the table, worship breaks out. The very thing that David did, the very first thing he did after he was selected to be king was give his heart to the Lord and he played for the king. I think that's something imperative for today that we're being called to a family environment, a culture, a foundation of family where we're being called to the table and Jesus is going to be in the center and the fruit of that is an adoration for him. A fruit of that is, is, a, is a unified um, unity among and building around him. The next thing as far as the first one is invitation. The next thing is intimacy. The table represents intimacy. The table of showbread was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of worship. He is the bread of life. It was a place, an invitation of communion. Now, now up to that point, only the, the, the priest, the high priest, could take part of that and change that out. But Jesus died on a cross and the veil was torn, meaning that separation from, to the holiest of holies was removed, giving us all an excess pass and an invitation to the table. Now that's intimacy with the Lord. When the, Jesus would have communion with the disciples and he would break bread with them around the table, it was intimacy, it was connection. The other thing in Acts 2, it says they broke bread together. They met house to house. There's something intimate and there's something powerful about gathering around a table, having communion with the Lord and breaking bread with each other. There's something powerful about the table and I believe the other thing is it's being intentional. So you have invitation, you have intimacy, and you have intentionality. And I believe that's the season that we're in, that there has been these setups by God. There has been these opportunities for conversations and for connection. There's something that's happened around the table where we're talking about races, and we're talking about racial reconciliation. We're talking about trusting in God, not government. We're trusting in, in, in Jesus, not just a political party, right? So we're doing these things where God is, is setting us up for success. He's setting us up to be victors, not victims, and there's conversations, there's things that are happening around tables. We, we had a pastor's meeting Friday, and we're talking about all of these things and what's going on. What's going on in the kingdom? What's ministry look like? What's church look like? What do Sundays look like? We're excited that it's taking a table format and a family, a living room, a connected format to where, you know, what you see Sunday morning is going to be literally a family reunion, a celebration of what's happening through the week and at other times. There's worship gatherings, there's home gatherings, there's these things that are going on, there's, there's youth gatherings and all of these things. And then Sunday becomes this thing where we all come together to just celebrate and, and connect to one another. We're starting up a new thing starting in September for a Sunday night once a month where we just gather, we worship for a bit, and then we split off and we do discipleship and we, we, we go after signs and wonders, we go after these things. It's gonna be a new model of discipleship that we're so excited to lay out. 
We want worship night on Tuesday night to look different to where it's not just upper room coming to worship, but it's a regional worship movement. This is family. Family isn't just restricted within the walls of upper room. Family is the kingdom of God. It's his bride. Listen, as far as intimacy goes, he calls us a bride, not a fiance or girlfriend. He's not looking for a TV tray version. He's looking for a dinner table. He's inviting us and he's prepared a table that's set before us. Today was an example of what the fruit of coming together to do communion together and to put Jesus number one and gather around him, gather around his presence. And and so what if we don't preach? So what if we don't get to this? Or so what if we don't collect offerings? I know churches that won't cancel on a snow day because they're concerned they won't meet their budget. I know that I serve a God that will provide. And it was his idea for Upper Room and it's his job to continue it. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about offerings. I'm not worried about if we do the announcements, will people come to the event? The Lord is in charge and he does a really good job at giving us grace to handle everything. I'm not worried about that, but there's something special about the table and there's something special that happens. There's connection. Oftentimes when Jesus was at the table with his disciples and he was connecting with them, it says as he was reclined, as he leaned back, now, here's the powerful thing. We, Nicole and I, we went to dinner once. Uh, we, we just met dear friends, Beth and Jerry Hirschberger, and we're at Amish country. We're doing dinner in their house. Our kids are going crazy. Their kids are going crazy. It's this awesome time. And we get done eating, and there's a mess. There's, like, there's stuff everywhere. There's dishes everywhere. And they refuse to let us clean up. I'm like, there's like dishes. I'm like getting ready to take my dish to this thing. They're like, no, what are you doing? Like, we were weird for wanting to clean up. They're like, you're only here at night. Let's, let's talk. So the dishes sat there like, oh, we'll get to it tonight or tomorrow morning. And I'm like, I'm like getting this nervous twitch, all this stuff around. But they cared more about the connection than they did the cleanup. They cared more about our heart connection and intimacy and growing closer together than they did about performance, striving, works, or, 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 or earning something. It was about that time, and I believe today is a setup for what God's calling us to, time with him. I believe the Lord is calling us for such a time as this to actually be the family of God. There's a reason that the Acts 2 church grew, and at the end of the chapter it says thousands were added to them daily. Why? Because the people who weren't part of that family saw how special it was inside that family. Let me say it like this. Unity is not everybody agreeing, thinking alike, being the same, thinking the same thing about the mask, the no mask, the this or that, or the COVID or not. It's not that. Unity is actually bringing that diversity together and everybody being totally different and choosing to love, value, and honor one another even in the midst of differences. That's unity. Otherwise, it's conformity. We're not looking for conformity. We're looking for unity. And the number one bridge of unity is Jesus. The number one bridge of unity is Holy Spirit. And he brings us together to say, no matter what's going on, what chaos, how we do this, what song we sing, what key is it in, it doesn't matter because Jesus is being glorified. He's our number one ministry. He will provide, and he's worthy of our worship and our praise. That's the family table. That's the place setting. It's this cool thing that God has used the table for so many things. You look at Solomon and the creativity and, and how excellent it was and how bountiful the food was and the place settings and how, how creative and artistic it was. And all of a sudden, it touches the Queen of Sheba, eventually changing an entire nation. 
There's something about the table, and I believe today we got called to a table that was set before us, and his presence was, was here. And we ushered in Holy Spirit in a way that the Father was pleased. I'm thankful for the hearts, because what you see here was only fruit of that secret, intimate place at the table. That was the communion with the Lord coming out for us to be invited with them to go to the high place of Jesus in the throne room of God. I'm going to, um, hopefully you got communion as you came in, and uh, we're going to just end with communion, so if somebody on the band or something can come up. I want to finish this one last thought with this piece of Jesus reclining back. When he, if you need communion, just raise your hand and Josh will get it for you as I finish. It says, Jesus reclined back. It's, it's in Matthew 9. It's in Matthew 26. It's when he met with the tax collectors. He met with the disciples. He's doing communion. And also it's in Mark. And in Mark 14, he's, he's meeting with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he's there and he's having dinner. And it says, as he was reclined back, a woman with an alabaster jar of oil, a fragrance, began to pour everything out on Jesus. As he's reclined back at the table, worship begins to happen. Again, when, when David was selected at the table, his first thing was worship. As Jesus is at the table in these various settings, all of a sudden worship happens. So what happens is as we focus on the unity and, 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 and glorifying the Lord, all of a sudden these beautiful things come out. These beautiful hearts come out. These beautiful fragrances of our worship come out because we're unified in his love and his goodness and his power and his grace. So all of a sudden they get upset. They're like, man, that could have been used for so many things. It could have fed the poor. It could have helped those in need. And Jesus says, don't you understand? The poor will always be with us. But this woman gave it all and she knew time with me was limited, but she gave of herself and she worshiped with me. She worshiped me. She knew what was important. She knew what was valued. So at the dinner table, this beautiful thing, and then at the end of that chapter, at the end of that story, it says that she will be remembered and this story will be retold in her honor because God values our worship. He's more concerned with our destiny than our history. We belong at the table with him. We belong at the table with each other. It doesn't matter where you've been or how long you've been there. Listen, he doesn't keep record of wrong. He says he forgives as far as the east is to the west. He buries our sins on the bottom of an ocean floor and forever forgets about him and never uses them against us. That's how powerful and good our Messiah is. He doesn't keep track of wrong. There is a reason that our windshield is way bigger in our car than our rearview mirror because it matters more important where we're going than where we came from. The only reason there's even a rearview mirror is so we don't forget of the things behind us. There's things that, that we've been through. There's things that we were, came through that will give God glory and that are a testimony unto Him. That's simply why our past is good. It's because we've been delivered from it. Now it's a story for his glory. This is the powerful thing about the table. It's a powerful thing that when we gather together, we all bring our own unique sauce and our unique uh, anointing and gifting and calling and personality and, and color. <laughs> we are all the seeds of Adam and Eve. We don't have all these races in, in our world. We, we are unified in Christ. We are different colors. We are different creations, but all one, his children. We're all his sons and daughters. And we get wrapped around and, and there are issues going on. There, I'm not ignoring the fact that there are injustices. 
But what I'm saying is, as believers, we are held to a standard to have unity and look like a family and love regardless of what we look like, regardless of where we've been. And we put Jesus number one and he's our ministry. And all of a sudden, all the other ministries and everything else is birthed from that at the table. Why don't you stand with me? Just as Jesus did at the Last Supper and with the disciples, he had communion and, and he broke bread. And we go to 1 Corinthians and it talks to us about the importance of doing communion and as often as we do it, do it in remembrance of him. And just like the table of showbread, it represents his presence, it represents him. The bread, he says, I am the bread of life. Anybody who, who drinks from me will never be thirsty. If we eat and taste and see he's good, we'll never be hungry. He is the solution. So we're gonna take communion together as a body. And if you're at home watching or engaging through the week, just grab what you can and we'll give you just a second here. And we wanna do communion. We wanna, we wanna have unity. There is purpose in communion. It's so powerful. I believe that we had communion with the Lord intimately today. And I believe now as a body of, of Christ followers and a family of brothers and sisters and sons and daughters, we now get to do communion together and again, put him first. So he says, this is my body, break it, remember me. So as you take the, the wafer, the bread or whatever it is that you have maybe at home, we just encourage you to take this. I wanna pray for it. I wanna bless it. Lord, we turn our attention to you. We take this communion, we take this bread as we remember you. We remember the sacrifice that you paid for us to gather together to honor you, to bless you, to adore you, to worship you. We thank you that your body was broken so we as individuals can be whole and we as your bride can be whole. We thank you, Jesus. As we take this bread, we remember you and we thank you for your body. We thank you that you are the bread of life. Just take that. Thank you, Jesus. The blood, he says, represents covenant. His blood was shed for you and I, not just to be made whole, not just to be purified, not just to be cleansed, but also to be in covenant with him and each other. We don't have to go this road alone. We don't have to be alone. We, we get to be together. We get to come in corporately on Sundays and worship together as one body and one mind and one accord, one spirit, one truth. His blood, that's what it does. It, it unifies us as one. It covers us. It cleanses us. It commissions us. And it leads us to covenant. So Lord, we bless this juice that represents your blood. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the power of your blood. We thank you that there's more power in one drop of your blood than anything else on this planet. But we thank you for the covenant, for the cleansing power of your blood. And we do this in remembrance of you. We remember your sacrifices, the stripes, and the blood that you shed on Calvary. We thank you, Jesus. We don't know everything that's going on. I, Nicole and I are like desperately praying. Like Corey said, it's been a soft voice. It's been still. It's, 
We're like, uh, we don't want to miss anything, but we don't want to just jump on something that's not of the Lord. And we've been earnestly seeking His face and His direction for what, what, what will Upper Room look like a year from now, six months from now, three months from now. We don't know, but we're open to Holy Spirit leading us and leading the team here and leading those who are part of this and, and each one of you are part of this family. So I don't know, but we're open. And I know this, it's, it's looking different. There is a new wineskin. There's something new that's happening. And I love that word. And I never connected the eight tables to the eighth month of August right now, today being a launch into that. So I receive that. And I hope each of you do for your lives and for what you've expected for 2020. What's funny too is one of the words that God gave me for 2020 was legacy. And I was like, that's the only shirt that matches the shoes I wanna wear today. So I chose this shirt for legacy. And that's what the Lord's redeeming. There's legacy in us. And I feel you got one last song to sing over us. Oh, wow. But before you do that, can you just stretch your hands out to Baylor? Let's just bless him and thank the Lord for him. Lord, we just thank you for Baylor. We thank you for he and his wife, his family, his family back home and her family, her dad, Lord. We thank you for his wife's dad. We thank you for healing there. Lord, I just thank you for a heart, just like David, a man after God's own heart. I thank you for Baylor who carries the lion and the lamb. I thank you for Baylor who carries uh, just the love and the gentleness, but also the roar of a raging praiser. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for his history. I thank you for his destiny. Thank you for where you're calling him to. I thank you for those, those quiet times with you, Jesus. And we just pray favor and blessing over his life, that you make his, his path and his feet just bright and just light it up, bring clarity to the direction that he's supposed to go. Thank you, Lord, for his going. Thank you for his coming. Thank you that he's the head and not the tail, the lender, not the borrower. He's blessed in the city and the country. We thank you for Baylor. Thank you for the gift he is to us today, to the earth around him, and most of all, Lord, your kingdom. We thank you for him being used to glorify you and to lead people to you to usher in your presence, to create atmospheres that glorify you. We thank you for him leading people into your throne room. We bless him in Jesus' name.